Amazon Prime. You know, with the holidays coming up, schedules can get very busy. Those of you who are still in college have finals coming up. Best of luck, by the way. If you're at work, it's always a push to get done by the end of the calendar year what everyone needs to get done by the end of the calendar year. It doesn't leave a lot of time to go to the store and go shopping for gifts for your family and friends, does it? Well, that's where Amazon comes in, as it always does. If you follow the link on our Blog Talk radio page, you will get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime. That's two-day shipping on so many things that Amazon sells with no added cost. It also gives you the... Amazon Prime Video Library, so you can watch all sorts of shows, including The Grand Tour, which comes back very soon. Gives you access to Amazon Prime Music. You would be surprised how much music you find there. It's always a good value, but for the first 30 days, it's the best value you can get. You don't pay a penny. Follow the link on our Blog Talk radio page to the sign up just in time for Cyber Monday, Amazon Prime. And now, Puck University. To Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. We are entering week eight of the college hockey season. It begins Friday, and joining me once again from up in the Boston area is Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. Chris, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, very happy to talk about this wonderful sport, and it, there's no shortage of topics. There's no shortage of wacky and wild things going on here. Well, while we get back into what happened last weekend, I'll I'll ask you, do we want to start with the headliner or do you want to rip the Band-Aid off? We're going to go with the headliner and then we will take care of that thing later on in the in the episode. I know the thing okay. you're talking about, though. I figured as much and I, I wanted to not lay it on too thick because you know I'm going to have to try. And the big story coming out of the weekend, St. Cloud State has been beaten. Denver swept them at home, winning 4-2 to two on Friday night and then carrying it into Saturday night, winning 5-1. to one. It was a convincing sweep for the Pioneers. Just after the first week they were knocked out of number one in the polls, they came and they really took it to St. Cloud State at home. Yeah, uh, particularly the second night, the Saturday night, both games at Magnus, which reputation is it's a great arena. I've never been out west. Well, I've been out there, but I've never been out there for college hockey stuff. I'd love to see the place. But the shot totals, St. Cloud outshot Denver in the first period 13-9. to Denver shut them down in the second, winning the shot total 16 to 5 in the second period and 17 to 5 in the third period out shooting St. Cloud for the game 42 to 23 for the game that is that is pretty close to last year's NCAA tournament level of dominance that that's amazing the way that they fully dominated that second game so good on them for remembering, oh, wait, we're Denver. We can beat you up and take your lunch money while we're at it. They certainly looked every bit like the champions they were last year. They didn't trail at all throughout the weekend against what we know to be an extremely good St. Cloud State team. Now, they were at home. As you mentioned, Magnus has its reputation. But to do that against what was the number one team in the country coming in and a big conference opponent, these these in-conference matchups, it's never too early. There's no such thing as too early in the season for two games with NCHC teams bearing down on each other. And for Denver to have not trailed at all, I think is really remarkable. 
not just to have won both games, but they were only really tied for a brief period even. Yeah, they were uh, They were tied in the second period of the first game. Jared Lukasavich is last year's most outstanding player of the Frozen Four, untied after only four minutes and th- or about 30 seconds of of uh, tied skating time after uh, Mika Il- uh, Ilvonen. I'm so sorry for butchering your name, dude, but uh, I will learn how to pronounce it, especially since St. Cloud will rally from this. But uh, Jeff Smith, God bless you. He was the goaltender for St. Cloud. That is a That is a powerful offensive attack that they've got going. And Heinrich Borgstrom had two goals on the first game. He didn't have a single goal in the second, but... Adam Plant looks healthy. Tyson McClellan got in the scoring, and Lucas Savage just had three goals on the weekend. Denver's offense was good last year, but they rode their back checking and they rode their <clears throat> excuse me, they rode their defense to the top. Right now, they're riding their offense like no one's business. And it's worth noting the schedule doesn't get any easier for Denver or or really for St. Cloud as time moves on. No, it, there's there's really no letting up in the schedule for any of these NCHC teams because, well, three of the best teams in the country, if not the best three teams in the country right now, are all in the NCHC. There's Denver, there's St. Cloud State, and of course, there's also North Dakota. And North Dakota had themselves a pretty big weekend as well. They they beat Miami in on Friday night four to one. Miami of Ohio, of course. Miami of Florida doesn't know that they have a pro hockey team, much less a college hockey team. Four to one on Friday night. Three to three tied. In conference play, North Dakota will take a point because they won the shootout, but they tied on Saturday night. Three to three. So a little bit of a trip up for North Dakota on Saturday night. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, they've had a couple ties already so far this season, but nothing you should be too concerned about. The offense was very good for North Dakota. They won the shot totals 32 to 23. Give Miami's, uh, Miami's goaltender Ryan Larkin a lot of credit. 29 saves against pretty good offensive attack in North Dakota. That's, that's pretty good work just getting one game, especially at Ralph Engelstad Arena, which... After all that I've looked at and the fact that they draw 11,000 per game and sell out pretty much every game at that building, I love BU, I love Matthews, I love uh, a lot of the rinks I've seen out east, but from what I've seen, I think the Ralph is the best home ice advantage for any school in the nation, Uh, but give a lot of credit to Miami for pulling that off. I don't see that as North Dakota tripping themselves up. Yeah, I guess that's a little bit dismissive that my Miami's still in the NCHC. They're a tough, tough team. They just they're overshadowed a little bit by the guys at the top of their conference. And you're right, it doesn't get any easier for any of these teams because North Dakota this weekend is going to be at Magnus Arena taking on the Denver Pioneers. So no rest for either Denver or North Dakota as it just gets tougher and tougher from here on out. Number one versus number three, and actually North Dakota got more first place votes than St. Cloud did, Uh, and St. Cloud is the number two ranked team in the nation right now by only one measly little point in the the way that they compiled the uh, collection for votes. So no rest for the weary, but that's what you got to do if you're going for championships, and all of these teams are going for championships right now. Yes, absolutely. They're, again, the number one, two, and three teams in the nation. So I don't think you need to go further than that to talk about how impressive the NCHC has been this year and how impressive it should be throughout the season. Yeah. Oh, and St. Cloud gets gets to host Colorado College this weekend. At least St. Cloud gets the benefit of being at home, but Colorado uh, remains on the bubble of Getting in of getting into the rankings. I'm looking for the standings to make sure. And Colorado College is doing pretty well. They're tied for the top 
for the most points in the NCHC at nine, three and three in conference so far. Yeah, the resurgent Colorado College back after a few years of having it kind of rough, but suddenly there are the Tigers back in in the mix in a tough conference. And we mentioned a little earlier when they play Denver, that's going to be a reigniting of one of the best rivalries in college hockey. But just having them around that conference is going to make things even trickier for these top teams. Oh, the best part of college hockey is the rivalries. So I'm sure Denver is actually happy that they're good again because it means that the games mean something a little bit more. Sticking with last week, back east, one of the big Friday night matchups was Northeastern hosting BU in the second leg of a two-week home-and-home. They had won Indiana Serena. And they kept the they kept the burners on throughout this game Friday night, winning six to one in front of one of the most emphatic Matthews Arena crowds there's been in a very long time. And with some with a highlight real goal that's only a highlight real goal because Jake Ottinger is okay after being run over by his own player on a broken play, but a a wild game at Matthews and a statement win for a Northeastern team that people thought would be good coming into the season, but hockey East is always going to be tough. So people didn't know how good. And right now the answer looks like it could be top. It could be a a competitive team in a tough conference. Good. Are you done talking about your team beating up mine badly? It was bad enough watching it in person, but uh, you done, dude? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm about done, and I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make it a little easier by continuing Boston University's weekend because from there they went home to Aganis Arena to take on New Hampshire, and it looked like BU might be reeling a little bit off of that Northeastern loss, but not so. They shut out the Wildcats for nothing at a Gannis Arena. And here's the thing. I need to bring you inside a little bit of the uh, of the BU Northeastern game to explain something. In the press conference afterwards, head coach David Quinn was remarkably upbeat and positive. The reason why, his team won the shot total by a lot, 34-23, to 23, including out shooting northeastern 15 to 7 in the second period and 13 to 7 in the third period despite that they northeastern only shot the puck 7 times in the third period and scored 3 goals the last one was a power play goal from Bobby Hampton that was uh that was a last second goal that was on the back of goaltender Max Prodzik so uh he remained adamant that Goaltender Primo for uh, Caden Primo for Northeastern played a great game, made 33 saves, and he kept positive that his team would one cut down on the penalties. The second period was especially rough between the two teams, and also Patrick Curry was called for misconduct. That's the third misconduct penalty committed by a BU player in a game against Northeastern, but he also remained adamant that he would get better goaltending out of uh, out of his team because Ottinger had by far his worst night as a Terrier. 21 shots and allowed five goals for a paltry 16 saves. So I'm giving you a little bit more context for the Northeastern shots were accurate and were on point. BU shot the puck a lot and couldn't get it by. So does that make the Northeastern fan happier? Because last year their goaltending kind of betrayed them. So to see Caden Primo, who was drafted, so he was coming in as a higher caliber of prospect than Ryan Ruck, who's had his moments in net as well, especially in the 2015-16 season where he helped lead Northeastern to the Hockey East Conference Championship. But seems like Caden Primo is doing a really good job in net, but I'll have to ask you this because it happened at it happened on Friday and it happened again on Saturday. Is there something about Caden Primo that you might be hearing that college hockey players 
don't necessarily like because he seems to take a lot of hits for a goalie. Um, I'm not hearing that much. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I think he might be a talkative player, but I can't tell. I'll, I'll poke around and see if I can find anything, but I can't say anything for certain right now. He was hit in the head twice against Lowell. One resulted in a game misconduct. But he was to hear a goalie was hit in the head twice in a game after what was a wild, you know, and to for lack of a better word and for use of one of my favorite words, chippy affair on Friday night with with BU just makes me wonder if maybe there's something that people are going after Primo for because it seems like he's being targeted. But then again, I'm mostly getting this secondhand. I'm mostly getting this through reports and through highlights. Well, I mean, Ruck got hit in the head too. I mean, Ruck is concussed right now. So if you want any bit of context, it's not just Primo. Both Northeastern goaltenders are getting hit. I don't know if uh, Northeastern is just disliked or something, but I'll poke my head around and see if I can find anything. But I uh, wish I had better a uh, better answer for you. But also, just very briefly, I'm taking a look at the line score of the Northeastern Lowell game, and what I'm thinking is, how did Northeastern not score more goals in that second period? Twenty-one shots for Northeastern in the second period. One goal. Nolan Stevens got a power play goal. 21-5 to five, Northeastern outshot Lowell in that period. And somehow they still lost the game. Yeah, it's, it's a strange weekend when you can have, when you lose the shot, when you're down in shots to BU, but you completely destroyed a good, good Terriers team. And then you're you outshoot UMass Lowell and lose on the road in Songus Arena. The only thing I can say is Christopher Hemberg for Lowell had quite a night, and they've been looking for a little bit of a goaltending solution. Tyler Wall was really struggling in net earlier on, so this could be a turning point of sorts for Norm Bazin's squad. Yeah, for his sake, I really like Norm Bazin. If you you know his story about how uh, he almost passed when he was. A coach at Colorado College, right? No, I, I, I don't know that story. Go ahead and enlighten me. Oh, so Norm Bazin has one of the most incredible near-death experience stories that you could ever have the uh, opportunity to hear. It's one of those uh, like really incredible and inspirational stories. So... Norm Bazin was an alum of UMass Lowell. He played for one year of professional hockey. He was an assistant at Lowell. Then from 2000 to 2008, he was an assistant at Colorado College. He helped Colorado make it to the NCAA tournament in 2005 or 2006 when Colorado was getting really good. So in 2003, Bazin was an assistant coach at, at CC. He was driving up U.S. Route 395, going to uh, Washington to go and recruit some kids, I think. His, he got into a particularly nasty car accident on 395 right near Spokane, and uh, rescuers needed an hour to get Bazin free from the wreckage, and he was rushed to the medical center in Spokane with injuries that included a severed aorta. Bazin was given a—he had a 10% chance of survival, and a priest performed last rites for him. He went through 12 hours of surgery and eight days in a medically induced coma. He awoke, and he had lingering injuries that include that included, you ready for this, broken jaw, arms, shoulders, ribs, pelvis, and legs, and bluesing to his lungs and spleen. He went through physical therapy uh, confined to a wheelchair. Then he went through regular physical therapy, and he had, quote, no lasting health effects worth mentioning. Norm Bazin survived a car accident that severed his aorta and broke close to every bone in his body. That's just that's just amazing. It, it really is. I had never heard that before, so that's that's remarkable. That's and certainly we're all happy both as hockey fans and as people, that Norm Bazin is doing okay and doing so well. And, well, look at 
the University of Massachusetts Lowell, I'm not sure there's anyone, and there are a lot of people who care about that school. There, I don't know if there's anyone who cares about it more than Norm Bazin, who went there, who came back as a coach, who's really transformed the program. Oh, yeah, his first year there, they had, they had won five games the year before he took the job. Then 2011, 2012, he shows up. They tie for second uh, in the Hockey East. They make it to the regional final in 2012. The next year, they win the conference regular season and the tournament, and they're in the Frozen Four. He's turned that program into one of the premier programs in Hockey East. And they're starting to turn their ship around. You're right about Tyler Wall really struggling in goal, t- in goal despite the perfect name for a goaltender. Just Tyler Wall. His last name is perfect for a goaltender, but they're starting to get things together. Tommy Panico is a guy who I'm going to watch. He had two goals for uh, for Lowell. I'm going to watch him the way that he's going to try and turn it around, and he's starting to pick up his performance. And the line of Ryan, of uh, Lowen and Housinger as well will be a fun one to watch. So keep your eyes out on, uh, on Lowell. They've got a coach that everyone respects and everyone admires. So good on them for, uh, for starting to turn their ship around. And Hockey East is really just a confusing and fascinating conference at this point. Seems like almost everything's on its head. Providence was one of the favorites coming into the season. They've been very good. BU has had its moments of being excellent. They've just had a really, really brutal early schedule. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They just keep playing ranked teams, and getting away from that a little bit will help them out. And just a few weeks ago, we were talking about Boston College and their disastrous start. They now, in terms of in-conference games, lead the Hockey East Conference. So I don't, I don't know who saw that coming a month ago, but suddenly here come the Eagles, here come the Riverhawks. Northeastern looks like they're, they didn't miss a beat after losing Zach Aston Reese after last season. They might be better in net. So this is going to be an unpredictable conference for the rest of the year. That's an understatement. I don't, I don't even know how to. Uh, BC has done a very good job in turning themselves around, and they've identified that they are not an offensive-heavy unit. They are a defensive trapping team that plays physical hockey that wins one nothing in two to one games and depends upon their goaltending. Also, Jerry. I am sorry I ever doubted you. I I am so sorry, Jerry York. I will never doubt you again. You can turn anything around. And it didn't seem like he was losing the faith at any point either. Even when they were 1-5 and I believe 1, here was Jerry York saying, don't count the team out. There's plenty of good hockey in them, and they could turn it around any moment. At the time, it just seemed like coach speak, but here we are. I mean, after the game that Denver played against BC at Conti Forum, Jim Montgomery, the head coach of Denver, commented that BC is a talented team and they're going to get it together. And I wrote him off as being, yeah, he's just being nice to save face. Now I need to eat some crow because that's, uh, I was completely wrong. Good, good job, Jerry York, for being a great coach and turning your program into a winning unit again. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. I think BC is going to be involved in the toughest matchup this weekend in Hockey East. There's no matchups between two ranked teams in Hockey East this weekend, but the closest we're going to get is on Saturday night, Boston College travels to Matthews Arena to play Northeastern. And you mentioned the atmosphere in Matthews last Friday night. It's going to be just as electric on Saturday night as they play BC. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, who do you hate more, BU or BC, between the two, uh, the two other major Boston-specific schools? Well, for me, it's BU because when I went to Northeastern, it was 2001 through 2006, which was one of the you know, 
golden eras of Jack Parker at Boston University. They won the Beanpot, it seemed like, every year. They won two Beanpot finals from Northeastern in heart-rending fashion because Northeastern does not just lose Beanpot games. They usually lose Beanpot games in painful, memorable ways. And it that was the Chris Bork BU era. So that Jeez. that'll tell you that I, I will still never get over that Chris Bork never attended a single class at Boston University and there's not an asterisk on the 2005 bean pot. We're going to brush past that, but uh, let me highlight one other thing. <laughs> let me highlight one other thing in the BC schedule. They've got two games that Friday night game at the Whittemore Center against the University of New Hampshire. That's also going to be an outstanding game. And UNH is in a bit of a rough patch, but they have a ton and a half of injuries. Shane Eiserman has been out for a bit and isn't back yet. Charlie Kelleher has been uh, has been injured and isn't back yet either. So it's a battered unit. They're, they're going to get themselves healthy, and they're going to be tough to beat down the stretch. And... Uh, never count out Coach Humili to make them a competitive unit. So uh, that Friday night game is also going to be a very good game. BC has by far the toughest weekend in Hockey East, I think. Yeah, it should be a really good game at the Whittemore Center. And we talked earlier about some home ice advantages throughout college hockey. And very few people have the ability to throw a team off their game just by the arena alone that New Hampshire has as a result of playing on, as we call it, Lake Wit. Well done. Well done, guys. I mean, it should be a lot of fun. It's another very good weekend of college hockey, and it's a promising matchup. I mean, the the in-conference matchups that we've highlighted in just the NCHC and Hockey East are awesome, but uh, there's a few non-conference games that are of particular interest to us as well. Can we get into those? I'm really fascinated by Minnesota hosting Harvard. Minnesota comes in the number seven team in the latest USCHO poll. They are the second highest ranked team in a another loaded conference, the Big Ten. And they'll be playing a Harvard team that hasn't played a lot of games yet. But they had a rough weekend last week, and they're two, three, and zero right now. The Crimson. So this is a tough time for a road trip against one of the teams that, if all goes according to plan for Ted Donato's group, they'll be seeing them again in the NCAA tournament. So this is a big matchup for Harvard, and it's a big matchup for Minnesota. It's a big matchup for Harvard, but this is a brutal stretch of the schedule. They played three home games to open up their season against all Ivy League schools. And they they thrashed Dartmouth. They lost kind of badly to Yale, and they beat up on uh, on Brown. Then they're on the road for the rest of the calendar year of 2017. They don't play another home game at the Bright Landry Center until January hits. And it just so happens that they get to play Colgate, who is surprisingly good this year. I don't think they were expected to do that much. And and the their ancient rivals, I think it's the oldest rivalry in all of college hockey in Cornell, both of whom are now ranked opponents. So they're in a brutal stretch of their schedule. I feel bad for Harvard, but uh, they'll get it together, I think. For their sake, I hope they get it together and at least split the series against against Minnesota up at Mariucci. But continue the talk of good uh, home ice advantages. Mariucci is kind of legendary yeah it's one of the hallowed grounds of college hockey yeah and uh that trip is going to be pretty hard even though minnesota fell a bit in the rankings themselves from four to seven so the bat the golden gophers need will need to get themselves going in the right direction too harvard's in a little bit more need of it since they're under 500, but still. Yeah, Harvard could use a a win here, but the thing with Harvard, once they get into their conference schedule, the ECAC is a tough conference, but it's not going to be as tough as that out-of-conference schedule that they've been playing. And then, of course, they have the bean pot that they have to go through every year, which 
is once again going to be loaded where it wouldn't be a shock if all four teams had a number next to their name by the first weekend or by the first Monday in February. So that's a tough schedule for Harvard, but they need a tough schedule because here's a team that last year, both you and I coming into the NCAA tournament said Harvard had a pretty good shot of winning the whole thing. And they're back again with another team that could compete for a national championship. If they want to take that next step, they have to beat good teams and they don't really ever stop playing good teams. And it must be said that in their frozen four game against Minnesota Duluth, they barely lost. They were a centimeter and a broken skate away from beating Minnesota Duluth and moving on to the national championship game. And who knows if they could have beaten Denver, but they were barely, barely off from from beating them. So it's a talented enough unit to do it, but there's a lot of young pieces. There's a lot of growth and development, and Merrick Madsen is going to have to be a shutdown goaltender. And he's had moments when he's been really good, but some of the goals against Cornell, tough, gritty, give-up goals but in front. But uh, it's a team that's figuring itself out. Remember, they're pretty early on into their season. They've only played five games. Minnesota's already in double digits for the number of games that they've played. So. I'll I'll be willing to cut them a little bit of slack, but still. It's what makes those early polls so confusing in part that the Ivy League teams don't start until later on in the season, so we don't really have a sample size for Harvard yet to know what kind of a team they are other than what they look like on paper. And while we're on the subject of the polls, you know, I the last two weeks I've been kind of making fun of the polls and finding reasons to talk about teams that might be a little too high for what they've been so far in the season. But I'm going to give the polls credit. Minnesota State's number five. The WCHA's had a rough go of it since the existence of the Big Ten. They were kind of ravaged by realignment. But here suddenly is Minnesota State, number five in the country. They host Bowling Green on Saturday and on Friday. And that should be that should be a good game for Minnesota State, a good weekend for them, because they they could really take control of this conference. I don't want to perceive it as a weaker conference because it has about as much history as anywhere in college hockey. But here's Minnesota State's chance to put themselves back on the map. Yeah, well... I I would say on the map because honestly I look at Minnesota State and I think huh it's it is kind of a new ish Division One program that they've not seen they saw a ton of success in their days in the D two world they've not yet hit that same level of success as a Division One goaltender but I also must give a lot of credit to Connor Lacuve a former BU player who transferred out there got some wins uh, has been has been one of the uh, goaltenders in their tandem and it's a very good unit and I must point out one other shocking thing there was a shootout between Minnesota State and Bemidji State the team that Michael Bitzer plays for and there was an eight to six game between those two teams how shocked should we be that such a score is possible between uh between those two teams and by the way Bitzer gave up the eight goals well, I'll put it this way. I know you're a baseball fan as well as a hockey fan. And how often do we see this in baseball season where two of the best pitchers in the entire major leagues will be slated to go against each other and it ends up being an 11-8 to eight game? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I, I won't. It's still surprising. Oh, it's definitely surprising, but it's one of those things where we all have our expectations set. We come in wanting to see a pair of goalies just completely go at it against each other, and it never turns. It just seems like so often in sports we we get a great game, but never the great game we're expecting, and that's part of why, you know, as they say, that's why they play the games. That's fair. That That's completely fair. It should be noted, Minnesota State's offense – uh, they are sixth in points per game with an even 10 points a game. That's uh, players getting goals and assists per game. So 
they're a loaded unit, and I'm very happy to see that uh, the, if you will, the other Western Conference is getting as much respect as they are due. And it, they're, they really are due. I, I think Bowling Green should probably be getting some more votes for, uh, for their rankings, but that will come in due time. Northern Michigan's ranked 20th as of the current poll. So there are two ranked teams right now, but Bowling Green could get there as well. And Michigan Tech, don't count out the Michigan Tech Huskies. They've received votes at times this season, not so much in the last poll, but plenty of, plenty of other Mondays left to come where we can see new polls. So you might be able to see as many as four teams in that conference ranked. And like I said, there could not be a prouder conference in college hockey. They have history. The NCHC is the juggernaut of the day, but the WCHA has the history. They have the background. They used to be what the NCHC is now. That's a fair description. Uh, they used to be the powerhouse of the West until 2013, and we really should feel bad for the WCHA in a lot of ways. Well, not anymore, because the the Mavericks, they'll be a team to be reckoned with when tournament time comes around. I wouldn't be shocked if they can bully their way to uh, to a Frozen Four this year. And I'll give them I'll give them uh, credit for being on my watch list for being a team that can push it to the uh, to the Frozen Four this year. And there's a lot of great goaltending in that Western Conference. Oh yeah. It's a beat 'em up man style game. It's a lot of fun and it requires a certain mindset, but that's where the fun of it comes in. So uh, we're Eastern. We are of Eastern bias, of course, but uh, we but we give a lot of respect to uh, the man's game of the West. Well, the thing I see the WCHA eventually settling into a role close to what the ECAC has now, where you might not necessarily think they're among the power conferences of college hockey, but the best team in their conference or the best teams can compete with everybody the way that we're seeing out of the ECAC in the last few years and historically. I mean, the ECAC this decade has produced, I think, two national champions and a bunch of teams that, I mean, 2013, they had both contestants in the national championship game with Quinnipiac and Yale. 2016, they produced the, the runner-up in Quinnipiac, and 2014, they got the national champion in uh, uh, in in Union. So it's a good, good conference. So, and I expect that uh, man that uh, Minnesota State Mankato will put on a run, kind of like that this season. It would be great to see, and. Um... I guess we can shift over to the WCHA's rival conference because there's no one that hates the Big Ten like the WCHA hates the Big Ten for obvious reasons. There's a big matchup over in the Big Ten this weekend as Michigan travels to the Cole Center to play a couple of games against Wisconsin. Both of these teams are ranked. Yeah, who would have penciled that in for uh, for the early rankings? Uh, Michigan was a good team, but I think they were in the others receiving votes category in the early going. So, and why is it that the Wolverines win so much? My brother and I think that Michigan may well be the best total package uh, college sports program in the country. The most national championships in hockey, the most wins, uh, like most total games won for a football team. They may well be the best athletic program in the country. Especially when their basketball team's good. They've had their ups and downs with the, you know, they, they date back to the Fab Five era that, you know, I guess never happened now. We have to pretend that never happened at all. But they, Michigan's had their, their moments in basketball as well. I don't know. I don't know if I can disagree with you, although... Don Brown currently works at the University of Michigan, so I have my reservations. He did kill Northeastern football. But other than that, I think I think you have something there. It doesn't seem like there's another program that consistently across all the all the bigger sports they play 
have put together so many players. They even have a very good baseball program. And while the Big Ten is the Big Ten, the Northern teams aren't always the best at college baseball. So credit where due, Michigan, you're right. As far as total package athletics departments, you might not be able to find a better one out there. I, I'm very grateful for the, uh, the baseball team. I, I worked for the Whitecaps, the Brewster Whitecaps in the Cape Cod Baseball League. We had two pitchers, our closer in the playoffs and a starting pitcher in the playoffs, who went 2-0 and with uh, one seven and two-thirds innings effort in the first round and a six and two-thirds shutout effort in the championship deciding game. Oh, and he also got a save in the semifinal round in the deciding game of that series too. So I'm very grateful to their baseball team for uh, helping my team on Cape Cod win some championships. But uh, I'm sure that the good people of Notre Dame would be quite unhappy. And especially the good people of Ohio State would be incredibly unhappy to hear me, uh, to, to hear us come to that conclusion. But we don't really have... At least I don't have any real biases in favor of any of the Big Ten schools. I just acknowledge where they are. I don't have any real rooting interests. They almost stand out in the college hockey world because, for the most part, schools outside of the Big Ten don't have prominent programs in any other sport to a degree because they're an ACC school. And at this point, specifically and only because they're an ACC school, you might be able to say Boston College. But it's been a while since their football team's been relevant, basically since Matt Ryan played there. And their basketball team, it's been even longer. So they did they were featured in a documentary recently, but not necessarily the way BC would want. So it's pretty much all the the schools that have prominence outside of hockey are in the Big Ten because, well, let's face it, it's the Big Ten. Yeah. Well, the only other school that I could think of would be UConn, but it's a young college hockey program that hasn't even been to the NCAA tournament yet. Uh, but their basketball programs are legendary for the men's and the women's side. But other than UConn and kind of UMass, Amherst, yeah, I I could say I could see your argument there. Yeah, UMass should should at least be mentioned in this. Or let me. Let me correct for all those Lowell fans out there. Amherst should be mentioned in all of this. And because they certainly hate when the Amherst campus is referred to as UMass, but dating back to the John Calipari days, they have, well, they had a good college basketball team, but like the Fab Five, it didn't really happen. We have to pretend it never happened. But Dr. J totally happened at, at uh, Amherst. Yes, yes, he did. So, great. You guys have Dr. J. That's all the athletic credibility that UMass Amherst needs, I think. Right. And and then you mentioned Connecticut with Gino Ariema's amazing women's basketball program and all the work Jim Calhoun did there and all the dimes he won't be giving back. Yeah. And also that, that one championship that Kevin Ollie won on Shabazz Napier's back as fairly recently, too. But... It's a young hockey program that's developing. I love Mike Cavanaugh. I I did a I did an interview with him and a profile on his program. So go check that out on Inside Hockey if you so desire. Uh, uh talking about the Yukon Ice Bus, but yeah, it, no other conference has. That's two teams in hockey East that we can mention that have prominent programs outside of uh, outside of their hockey program. The NCHC doesn't really have any the ECAC really doesn't have any except kind of sort of Harvard basketball but only in kind of an academic sense if you will the Atlantic certainly doesn't and the NCHC excuse me and the WCHA doesn't really have that the Big Ten is if you will the big school conference if you will like the the big name college athletic conference outside of hockey that also happens to be really good at this sport too while we're talking about this, I guess we'd be remiss to point to forget about Arizona State. You mentioned fledgling hockey programs. They're certainly in their outright infancy as a college hockey program, but Arizona State has had their moments in both football and basketball, and they have a great baseball program out there as well. So Arizona State deserves mention in this as well, and they're the one outside of the Big Ten. 
Yeah. Uh, Dustin Pedroia is there. It is actually, did he go to, did he go to state or did he go to Arizona? No, he, he went to Arizona. Arizona state. State. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to catch myself to make sure I got that right. We need to get, I will, I will keep banging this drum. We need to get Arizona state out of being an independent school. We need to get them into the WCHA as soon as physically possible. I still think it's a pride issue. I think for some reason they don't want to join the WCHA because the perception is that the WCHA lost so much in realignment that they don't want to be part of that conference, but there's nowhere else they'll geographically fit. And just ask Jeff Jackson at Notre Dame, geography matters. It really matters because that Notre Dame team last year was great. They're great this year again too. But by the time they got to the Hockey East tournament, they seemed gassed just from all the travel miles they logged up throughout the season. And that's not nearly as many as the Alaska schools or Alabama Huntsville or Arizona State has to take on. So ASU really needs to join a conference and there's no other fit for them but the WCHA, at least until their program grows into something they're not yet. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could have them join the NCHC, but they would be slaughtered by the seasoned, experienced powerhouse units that is every other team in that conference. I don't think they would stand a chance going into the NCHC. But uh, again, we've, we've hammered out these points of how we would rearrange things. Huntsville needs to be moved to Atlantic Hockey or needs to be moved out of the WCHA. They don't belong in that conference either based on geography. No, and again, having Huntsville and having the Alaska schools in the same conference is just such a dicey proposition. That in and of itself just seems like a recipe for disaster for all of those teams. And while they do love their hockey in Huntsville, that program's really never been able to gain a lot of traction and possibly the travel miles contribute to it if if not lead that charge. So it would be great to see some realignment. We've you, You've mentioned, we've brought this up quite a bit. It's hard not to, because I think this is one of the things college hockey fans inevitably will talk about when they look across the country, especially when you're not following these specific programs as a fan. You just look out and you see, well, Arizona State's out there. Who do they play? Right now they're hosting Penn State this weekend in what will be an interesting matchup just in terms of those are two of the newest college hockey programs there are. But they they need to do something because it's going to be hard to get that Arizona State program any traction if they're traveling as much as they have to travel as an independent, besides which their schedule's never going to be good enough. Even when they get good, they're going to have trouble getting what they want out of their schedule unless they join the conference. Yeah. It's a. I don't understand why they continue to have the pride issue of uh, not joining these of uh, the ECAC of uh, not joining uh, WCHA. The other thing I must note, I'm trying to find uh, photos of their uh, their hockey rink that they play their games at, and oh my god, it looks like a high school rink. I. I just they're. This is a high school rink, at least the one that they uh, that they practice at. The one that's listed for their uh, their profile is the uh, is the Oceanside Ice Arena. And simply put, this is a glorified practice facility in Tempe, Arizona. You guys need at least. Well, Penn State had some real backing behind them, so the the Sun Devils have a lot of growth and development to go in there programs infants infancy and early history this weekend's games will be taking place at gila river arena in glendale which is where the coyotes play so they'll they'll have a nice arena for these games and they've played there quite a bit this season but then again that brings up another issue with arizona state and with their arena the team that occupies that arena most of the time the phoenix coyotes might not be long for this world in the NHL. We've heard certainly whenever there's a rumor of a team moving, that's the first team anyone turns and looks at these days. So that's going to 
affect Arizona State's future as well as that moves forward and as perhaps a Canadian buyer comes up and tries to get that team moving north? Get them either to Quebec City or to Seattle would be the uh, would be the move that you would move the Coyotes to, especially since that team, despite Clayton Keller, a former BU player, I might add, being a great rookie and having a great start to the season, simply put, they've been terrible so far this year. I I feel bad for them to be to be truthful, but it's such a dicey situation, especially since hockey is a much more geographical sport than any other. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Arizona State to have a hockey team, and God bless them for trying to expand it. I'm, I want them to continue having this program, and I want them to develop it. But this is such a dicey situation for them to, uh, to be playing. So they need, they need to sort something out here. One other matchup that I don't think we've mentioned yet that we should get into a little bit is the ECH AC in general has had has a pretty big weekend ahead. Clarkson has two tough road games ahead. They're playing Colgate on Friday night in Hamilton, New York, and then they're going to Ithaca the next night to take on Cornell, who is who's looking like the class of the ECAC early on. Clarkson's ranked number eight in the country at the moment. Cornell, number six. Colgate, number 19. And you mentioned they're, they're a surprising program in the early going, Colgate. Oh, yeah. Clarkson also, I thought they'd be a competitive team in the ECAC. I didn't think they'd be, I didn't think they would be that highly ranked. Also, Cornell has four first place votes for the, WC, for the USCHO poll. That's the most first place votes of any program that's not Denver. That's more than St. Cloud and more than North Dakota combined. I just, I feel I have to mention that because it's so weird noting that they are sixth. The only reason that they're ranked number six in the nation is because they've only played six games. Of course, they've only played six games. They've won all six of those games. So they have as many wins already as Denver. Yeah, they've, and it, it must be noted that they've put up some good efforts against really good schools. Like they edged out a victory at home against Harvard, which is nothing to scoff at. They've, uh, they won't, well, they beat Dartmouth 3 nothing, but Dartmouth is not exactly a powerhouse. But that Harvard game really is the highlight of the season for, uh, for Cornell so far. Well, they beat Quinnipiac on the road. They beat Princeton. They swept Alabama Huntsville to open up the season, which, again, Huntsville loves their hockey, but it's not exactly a, a, a big-time program. I'm actually going to get to cover Cornell at Big Red Hockey at the end of this month at Madison Square Garden when they play against BU. That'll be another big test of uh, where they're at at that point of the season. It'll be good to see college hockey in New York. I know that's becoming an annual thing that they've had a few showcase games in Madison Square Garden. So that will be interesting as well. And it'll be a nice arena to visit because Madison Square Garden, there are very few places as as beloved in sports right now than Madison Square Garden, even if it is above Penn Station. And that's the reason Penn Station, New York is Penn Station. <laughs> it's a bucket list item for a lot of people, myself as well, to get to be on press row as a writer or as a reporter for uh, for a sporting event there. And it's not for the Rangers or the Knicks, but, you know, it, it's not for one of the big professional units. But this event between two of the most storied college hockey programs – has been a great success its first few times. I'm hoping that the crowd is into it and that they fill up the building and that uh, that we need to get college hockey in the New York area. We we need to have either Columbia or Cornell or excuse me Columbia or Fordham jump on this college hockey thing and continue to develop this sport. So please some so there's enough money in New York City. Some wealthy backer in the city who's an alum of one of those schools, pull up 
Terry Pagula and get on that. We need these schools to develop this sport in this city. I guess that's becoming the... I've made that joke as well. I guess that's becoming the the blueprint for how you get a college hockey program. You just get it gifted to you by a billionaire. Works as well as any as any other way. Uh, it would be a little bit difficult to try and uh, get any kind of development or donation from from alumni in general. Just it's a big jump start when a billionaire donates some money to you. Also, Columbia would fit nicely into the ECAC and fit nicely into the IVs and. Fordham would be a nice return to uh, big-time relevance, even though we'd have to find a new arena because you can't have an ice rink at the Rose Hill Gymnasium. That That's not going to work. No, it, it, it is not. One other thing that would be nice is for New York City in general to have a college program in any prominent sport that is a big deal. It's been a while. It's basically been since Chris Mullen was at St. John's. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. It really is. And that was back in the mid 80s when that was a thing. So yeah, it would be nice for New York to be relevant. And on that note, St. John's look into it. Yeah, there you go. They they would fit in with a number of conferences as well, and I don't think any conference would be it would immediately say no, except maybe the Big Ten to a school in New York City saying they want to get involved because that's just another market you can reach. And right now, college hockey needs to reach more markets. I know we love the small schools. There's very few people love the small schools of college hockey more than I do, but. It needs the notoriety sometimes. You look around and, you know, it's kind of hard to find college hockey on television these days. I'm lucky down here in Florida. Florida's everywhere, so I get cable channels from all over the country, so I can watch some college hockey. But in a lot of places, you really can't these days. There's just not – the contracts didn't really go around. A bunch of them expired last year with with the passing of American Sports Network. And since then, there really hasn't been a lot of college hockey on TV except for ESPN3. ESPN3 and Nesson uh, up in New England carrying the Boston schools, New Hampshire, uh, Harvard. You know, those uh, there's a few local places. North Dakota gets very good viewings on their local channels out there, but that's the thing. On the local local area TV stuff. There's not a, you're right, there's not a lot of national stuff. I think the only major sports media personality that I know who talks a lot about college hockey, who's a big sports personality in general, is John Bucci-Gross. We love Bucci. We we love Bucci. We want him to talk more about it, but you need more people to be developing an interest in this stuff. And you do that by getting more big-name schools into it. It seems at times like Bouchergrass is on an island with it because it seems like he's the only person that will talk about it in a national context and with his with his hashtag that if you follow college hockey, you already know there's an alternate spelling to college hockey because John Bouchergrass has given it to you. Gotta love Bucci. He is, uh, he's coined the phrase that I use on every single tweet. Well, a lot of my college hockey tweets, I use that, but... Yeah, I we do want to see the sport grow somehow. It would be nice if uh, there were more highlights of it going around. But you'd also need the sport of hockey to develop more in this country, which is another fight to be had altogether. I mean, Tampa is a good hockey market, but you need other places to take to it the way Tampa has, and you need teams to win. And it's it's a whole very com- convoluted thing. Makes me wonder what's going to happen when the Olympics come around because, well, that's been the elephant in the college hockey room all year. We don't know. It looks like there might be a fair amount of college hockey players that end up going off to the winter games this year because the NHL players aren't going. There's been no confirmation of that, but there's been talk that 
there are plenty of players out there that are being looked at as members that might go to Team USA or Team Canada straight out of college hockey, which they don't shut down the college hockey season for two weeks the way they did with the NHL. So that's going to disrupt some programs if it happens. Especially that's the middle to end of February. That is critical time right before March hits. I think that would be right after the bean pot. So the Boston schools, I think, would be just barely fine with having their guys or actually, no, they might be affected because they would lose their players to the national teams. And before the bean pot starts, I think. So I don't think that the top players, if they get chosen, the top players from those schools might not be there in February to play the bean pot. Yeah. That could have a real inverse effect on it. Uh, I mean, it could build up some notoriety that, oh, look, these guys are so great at the college hockey level, and they're also competing at the Olympics, and that's awesome. But they're not playing college hockey when they're playing the Olympics. So you lose a lot of people who would be watching them uh, at the Garden or wherever else they would be playing. So it's a it's a tough situation to try and balance it. and. I can guarantee you that there's a lot of guys on that Denver team would lose a lot of players. Borgstrom, I know for certain, would go off and play for his national team. He's good enough to do so. I could as would a number. I, I wish I had the list that I saw the other day of players who have been talked about in these contexts because there are a bunch of them there. I think all four of the potential beanpot schools have had players looked at. I know that on Northeastern's side, both Adam Gaudet and Dylan Sakura have been looked at seriously as members of their potential national team. And that would be a first for Northeastern, because if you look at their beanpot history, you'll notice that three of them came in winter Olympic years, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. So of players that uh, SB Nation, College Hockey, Chris Diltz came up with this list. These are guys that could represent uh, Team USA. I'm going to name off a few of them and from the schools. Troy Terry of Denver. Jordan Greenway of BU. Daniel Brinkley of Minnesota State. Adam Gaudette from Northeastern. Dylan Gambrell of uh, of Denver, Heinrich Borgstrom of Finland, also of Denver, Ryan Donato from Harvard, Shane Gersich from North Dakota, Ryan Pino from Providence, Tyler Sheehy of Minnesota, Casey Fitzgerald of Boston College, Kyle Hayton, the goaltender at Wisconsin, Dennis Gilbert, defenseman from from Notre Dame, Mason Jobst of Ohio State. I could go on a lot further there's 20 plus names that you can go on down the list and these are all big name schools and minnesota state would be affected by this whole thing too so the smaller schools starting to be affected as well well they should be that's a great player (laughs) they can if, if 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 he ends up going to the olympics it would make plenty of sense but we're still not sure if they're going to use college players, we know that's a possibility, but we haven't seen any of these rosters yet. So we'll see as time goes on, but it is something that it's lurking there. And when you look at the outlook for the rest of this college hockey season, don't forget that they're maybe most of these teams that you see ranked right now could be losing a player or two or even three to the Olympic games this year. If they, if, teams decide to pick a lot of players from the college ranks yeah it's a it's a crazy uh world that we're that we're in and there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air so you can only hope that things eventually settle down and that we actually get an answer to any of these questions okay chris lynch of insidehockey.com where are you this weekend and what are you working on for inside hockey so I am in Providence for Providence versus Merrimack tomorrow night, Friday night, and I am at Matthews Arena for Northeastern versus BC, and I don't think we're going to have this podcast going uh, next week after, so I'll just very briefly, I'm 
in Vermont for a game between the Huskies of UConn and uh, and the Catamounts. I'm at Red Hot Hockey between uh, between BU and Cornell. So that's going to be awesome. And I'm at BC Harvard on uh, next week Friday. So got a bunch of games there. Uh, social media links at CC Lynch Wall on Twitter at CC Lynch sixteen on Instagram and Chris's Corner on WordPress for my blog. I'm writing an Evan Gattis story about his insane uh, rise from uh, from obscurity to uh, small-time college baseball to winning a World Series with the Astros this year. So just things to look out for for me. Excellent. And as you mentioned, we will be off next week for Thanksgiving. I'm going to be traveling. I won't be here in my home studio to record Puck University. So we're going to take Thanksgiving week off. I will be commenting a little bit about college hockey on Twitter. You can follow me at Tim Writes Sports. I'm also the same thing on Instagram, Tim Writes Sports. And you can read what I'm writing on Sports Talk Florida. Tonight I'm going to be at Amelie Arena covering the Lightning versus the Stars. So there will be a recap up by tomorrow morning with complete with video and everything. So so that's what I'm working on. And I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday. I hope your teams do well, except for those teams that are playing Northeastern this weekend, of course. For, for Chris Lynch of Inside Hockey, I'm Tim Williams. This has been Puck University. Keep your head up and your hits clean, everybody.